This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Starting a brand new series this morning called Prepare. So if you are a note taker, you can write the title down, Live Out of the Overflow. Live out of the overflow. You can also follow along on Version. If you have the Bible app, you can go and search for an event in your area. You can download that app for free and utilize that resource as well. We're going to talk about living out of the overflow. You know, when you wake up in the morning, you're forced into environments and situations that would want to drain your joy, that would want to drain your peace, that would want to drain your contentment. It seems like everything in this world is against us when we wake up to try to rob us of those things, whether we didn't get enough sleep, whether we've got bills due, whether there's a situation at work we've got to deal with, whether there's a situation with the kids that's frustrating us, whether there's an area of our life where there's tension involved or there's a lot of anxiety and stress and pressure. It seems like that when we wake up, Oftentimes that there are so many things that try to steal or rob our joy, our peace, and our contentment. Try to rob our joy by taking away that overall sense that things are well, that we can also be at peace, and that we have everything that we need and we're content because there's so many things in this world that would try to steal that, whether it be the news that would try to tell you to be afraid, that would try to tell you, hey, I need you to freak out. Because of the way that the presidential election may go, bum, bum, da, and everybody just freaks out, and they get all upset, or they get all upset when they look at their checkbook and there's more month than there is paycheck, or that you freak out because of an issue you're dealing with with your family, or because of a situation with your boss, but God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to live out of the overflow of His joy, His peace, that truly brings godly contentment. So today, during our time together, it's my prayer that you discover the path to live out of the overflow of God's best. And we do that by preparing. We do that by recognizing that things are going to come that are going to try to steal from us, that are going to try to kill, that are going to try to destroy. Jesus said that in John 10 and 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I have come that you might have life and life in abundance. God wants us to experience life abundantly. And we need to understand what that means and how to do it. So therefore, we need to prepare We need to make sure that we're aware that there is a thief that is against us. We can blame everyone else on the planet for why things are the way they are, or we can take the position of someone that's willing to prepare. Because prepare, when we we prepare, we put ourselves in a position where we refuse to be a victim. We refuse to be a victim. We say, I'm not going to be a victim anymore. Because things are going to happen, and I know that they're coming. It's not like, oh, I was unaware that something was going to happen to try to steal my joy, my peace, or my contentment. We know that those situations come every single day, but we have to prepare for it and refuse to be a victim because life can be tough and challenging. Life can also be very rewarding when it's lived out of the overflow of a relationship with God. 
But if I'm a victim, I always feel like I'm owed something because of what's happened to me. If I'm a victim, I always feel like the challenges that I have faced are always because of some external circumstance, and therefore the change needs to come from the outside, and we never look at ourselves as being responsible for the change that we want to see. We're always hoping that people start treating us better. We always hope that the boss starts recognizing our hard work and our good effort. We start hoping that our spouse recognizes the extra time that we put into cleaning the house or mowing the lawn. We hope and recognize that our children recognize how much we actually sacrifice for them. Because kids are really great at picking up on those things. (laughs) And all of our frustrations come out of this feeling of being a victim. All of our lack of joy, all of our lack of peace, all of our lack of contentment come from riding on E in our lives. Have you ever done that in your car? Yes, you have. You have rode that puppy on E as long as you could. You, it's almost like you're daring your car. Have you ever had to get in your car and pray, God, let some heavenly fumes circulate in the tank of my car? Because that needle is below the red line, and I don't think I was parked on an incline or a hill. I think I don't have any gas in there, and I hope that I make it. Jesus, help me make it. Take the wheel. (laughs) It's the second time I used that. I used that last week. Riding on E. If you do that for too long, you're going to tear stuff up. If you do that in your car too much where you're riding on E, you're going to mess up your fuel filter. You keep doing that in your life, you're going to have some clogged areas in your life of frustration, of pain, of disappointment, of discouragement, of frustration because you're riding on E all the time and you don't have anything to give to others. When something comes against you, man, it hits you hard because you had nothing to to really even stand up anyways. You feel like you just climbed back up. I liken that feeling to when I was a kid, I got picked on in the swimming pool. I remember one time in particular, it seemed like I was getting picked on in the swimming pool. And, and, and every time that this bully would shove me under the water, I would be just clamoring for air to get back up and get a gasp. And then when he would finally let me go, I could come up and I just get a quick breath only to be shoved right back down again. Sometimes life feels that way. I can't even get a breath. I just got back up. And I'm living like I'm always riding on E. Folks, let me tell you something. That is not God's best for you. It's not God's best for you to always be on E, to always be barely getting by, to always be sucking for that one little gasp of air to stay alive. If you're in that situation or if that situation happens all too often in your life, That is not God's best. That is not what God wants for you. He wants you to live instead of in a land of scarcity. He wants you to live in a land of overflow where joy is overflowing, where peace overflows in your home and in your life, where you're content regardless of where life may end up kind of finding you and where you may end up residing. That you can be content in all things. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying in Philippians 4 and 13, the famous scripture where he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He wasn't saying, I can do anything, like I can fly off this building, you know, if I jump. No, you're going to break your leg, you idiot. (laughs) Don't do that. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was saying, if we look at that in context at verses 11 and 12, he was saying, hey, I've been in prison. I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. I've been shipwrecked. And I've also sat at the table of kings and I've been treated like royalty. He said, I've learned how to live in both situations. And the reason I can live in both situations is because it's Christ that gives me the strength to do it. It's not anything that I've done in my own. It's my reliance on the overflow of Christ in me that gives me the strength to be chained in prison and still singing glory to God and being content or being a free man and sitting at the table of royalty and still being just as content and being thankful to God because we prepare for that. It's not something that happens. It's something we intentionally prepare for. But if I'm a victim, I feel like I'm owed something. I feel like the challenges I face are, 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 are someone else's responsibility to fix, and I'm angry at someone or something for what life has handed me. Let's look to Scripture in Luke chapter 8, story of Jesus on his way to actually heal Jairus' daughter. This story is really interesting to me in Luke chapter 8 because Jesus is not even there to do what we're about to read happens. He's on his way because this guy's daughter is sick and she's about to die. And he heard that Jesus heals people. And so he went to Jesus and said, my daughter is sick. She's about to die. Would you come and heal her? And he said, let's go. And so they're on their way to this guy's house to see the daughter. And then this thing happens that was not planned. This thing happened that was not the reason Jesus was on this particular road. Let's read what happens in Luke chapter 8 and verse 43. Luke chapter 8 and verse 43. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you. They're pressing on you. Everybody's touching you, Jesus. What are you talking about? Jesus said, Someone has touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. So she's telling all. She's saying, I've spent all my money. I did everything that I knew to do. But I heard that you were coming through. And I knew that if I could just touch the hem of your garment, the fringe, the very bottom piece that was just hanging there, if I could grab that. I knew that I would be made well, and Jesus says this in response after she told her story. Verse 48, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This lady could have very well felt a victim to doctors, to people who would ma manipulate her to try different remedies to try to fix her issue, that I'm sure she was willing to spend whatever money she could conjure up and gather to spend on some type of cure, but it wasn't working. This lady could have felt upset to where she isolated herself and threw her hands up in the air and just give up and just lose hope. 
But this lady was still looking. She was still expecting. There was something in her that would not allow herself to give up and just die playing the role of the victim. Instead, she heard that Jesus was coming to town. However she heard it, I don't know. How she knew about Jesus, I I don't know. The Bible isn't really clear on that. We can guess and we can come up with theories, but we truly don't know. But however she knew... And she knew that if she could get a hold of him, that she would expect that he was going to do something for her that would completely change her life that no man could do. Twelve years of suffering healed in one encounter with Jesus because she began to expect something. Because people that prepare, they expect They're not giving up. They're not just going to take no for an answer. They're not going to just lay down and die. They're going to keep fighting. They're going to keep pursuing. They're going to keep preparing and doing what they need to do because they know that the enemy would love for them to just quit and give up. The enemy would love for you to just throw in the towel. He would love for you to give up on that situation that you've been trusting God for. He would love for you To just say, oh well, I guess that's not going to work out. Oh well, I guess I've just been foolish. Oh well, that I went to church one time and it didn't fix all of my problems. I prayed once. It didn't work the way I thought it would. The enemy would love to rob you of your joy, of your peace, and of your contentment and make you feel like you're defeated. Make you feel like it's over for you. But people who prepare to walk in victory, they expect it. They say, no, this is not God's best for me. I need to make sure that I'm preparing because I know that God is faithful. Expectation is an invisible assurance that's based on another's faithfulness. I'm going to say that again. Expectation is an invisible assurance that's based on on another's faithfulness. I have this invisible assurance. I, I, it's not something I can put my hands on, but I'm assured. I know that this is right. I know that this is true. And because of that, I'm not letting go because I know the one who promised it is faithful. I know the one who promised it is worth holding on to, even though it doesn't look like it's going to work out. Even though it doesn't look like things are going my way, I still have to hold on to what he said. It's the invisible assurance that's based on his faithfulness. That's called faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Because life is going to be difficult. Just because you become a Christian and come to church and start volunteering, and start tithing, and you start uh, praying, and you start reading your Bible, doesn't mean that all of a sudden, all of your problems are going to disappear, and life just becomes easy street. Life is still going to be difficult. It's how well prepared am I for the difficulty that I know is coming at me, because the enemy wants to see me fail and give up. The enemy wants me to just stop. The enemy wants me to feel sorry for myself. The enemy wants me to get in a limitless pit of depression. The enemy wants me to be completely chained and strapped by fear. 
The enemy doesn't want me to be content with where I am in life. He wants me to always be chasing after what the next door neighbor has or the Joneses have to think that I need to have what they have in order to be significant and to matter. That's what the enemy wants. But the people of God are called to live above those things, to live in the joy of God, to live in the peace of God, and to live in the contentment that only He can bring. But to do that, we've got to prepare. It's not just going to happen. You, you, you can't survive off of simply attending church once a week. You're riding on E. You're riding on E. If, if you think that oh, I'll just come to church and get a good little warm, fuzzy feeling... And then I'll get back in my car, and then next thing you know, my, my wife and I are upset at one another because we can't figure out where we're going to eat. All of the warm fuzzies, gone. Because we can't agree on where we're supposed to eat. Or I get home and I get a phone call. Or I read that text message. Or I open up that email. Or I see what somebody said on Facebook that was ugly. And I get all messed up over it. These things constantly pull at us. And life is always going to pull at you. But what you've invested, what you've prepared for, and you knowing that those things are coming, let me tell you something. We are called to overcome and still walk in that joy and that peace in the middle of the storm. It's just like if you have a personal savings account, which I hope that you do. I don't care if you're putting a dollar in there a week. Put something in there. And begin to save money. You can save something. Because stuff happens. Uh, This past winter, my hot water heater went out. And there was water all over the floor. And it was disgusting. It ruined clothes. It ruined towels. I mean, they got all discolored. And there was no saving them. And it was just a hot mess. And I was so upset. I couldn't believe it. Oh, man, this thing broke. It went out. But then I paused and I remembered, wait a minute, I have a savings account. And so I tapped into the savings account and I went to the store to buy the hot water heater. And guess what? I'm special. You never want to hear that from the guy that sells the hot water heaters. I don't want to be special. I want to be regular. No, you're special. Oh, boy. The only one that fits your house and your configuration is on that top shelf up there. Yeah, but that one's got more numbers on it than the other ones. Yeah, but you're special. I guess I'll take it. You don't really have a choice to take it, pal. It's either that or you're in the middle of winter and you've got no hot water. So reluctantly, I bought it. But I told my wife, I said, we just paid for it out of our overflow. We paid for it out of something we had prepared to do. Did it hurt having to pay for it? Yeah, but not as much as it would have if I wouldn't have had something there to pay for it with. You, you, you picking up what I'm putting down? You smelling what I'm cooking? You hearing what I'm saying? Because when I invest, when I prepare, and then something comes that's unexpected that I wasn't necessarily intending on buying then it's not as big of a hit. It's still a hit, but it did knock me out. 
It might have set me back for a minute, but it didn't knock me out. You see, when I prepare in my life and I know that God is faithful and I invest in relationship with Him and I invest in the fact that I know He's faithful, then when something comes in and wants to knock me out, it may sting a little bit, but I get back up a lot quicker than I did when I was riding on E. Is this helping anybody this morning? Because life is not going to stop being difficult. The way you prepare for the day is going to determine if you maintain joy, peace, and contentment through the storm. Or if the storm knocks you out. Because the storm is coming. If you have your Bible, turn over to Mark chapter 11. Look at another thing that Jesus said. Mark chapter 11 in verse 20, just give you a little bit of context here. What happened earlier, before we read Mark 11 and 20, there was a fig tree that Jesus was hungry and he wanted a fig and there was no fig there. So Jesus cursed the unproductive fig tree and he said, no one's ever going to eat from you again. And the disciples were like, that's weird. Jesus just talked to a tree. And then this is where the story picks up later. Literally, they didn't say anything about it. They were like, that was weird. If I was a disciple following Jesus around, I would have been like, okay. (laughs) Next. Mark 11 and 20, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to the roots. And Peter, he's sharp. He remembered and said to Jesus, hey, hey, look, the fig tree that you cursed it's withered. Jesus, look it. Jesus, look it. Tree's withered. And Jesus is like, duh. I said it was going to. But Peter's like freaking out over this tree. This man has calmed the storm. This man has fed 5,000 people. And Peter is all jacked up about the tree. Are you kidding me? So here's what Jesus said. I got excited about the story. Lost my place. Jesus said in verse 22, have faith in God. He said, have faith in God, bud. I I said that was going to happen. I wasn't hoping it happened. I wasn't, fingers crossed, I knew it was going to happen because I said it was going to happen. In other words, he was showing his disciples, if I say something, even if it's something small that may not make a lot of sense to you, it's going to happen. And then he goes on to say this in verse 23. I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it'll be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven will forgive you of your trespasses. He's saying, listen, you need to prepare in faith. First of all, we need to find out what did God say? Because he said, have faith in God. That was the very first thing that Jesus said. And then he says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, says those things are going to happen. But first we have to have faith in God and we have to know who God is and what God's will is. He needs to show us in his scripture. So when I learn the will of God, then Jesus said, I need to speak the will of God. One of the things that we have learned through our trek course is this is a scientific fact. Doesn't that always impress you when someone starts off a statement with scientific fact? You go, ooh, this is a scientific fact. No joke. 
Yeah, right? Scientific fact that your brain does not respond to your thoughts when it comes to creating new patterns of thinking. You can't think yourself different, but your brain does, however, respond to you speaking. It's through the ears. It's through you speaking that truth and actually hearing yourself speak that truth or you hearing someone speak that truth that the brain begins to light up in a different way than it does if you're just thinking about it. So it's one thing to just think this needs to change. It's one thing to just think about something, but then it's another completely different experience for you to actually take the Word of God and to speak it out loud where you hear yourself say it. The brain fires in a different way that actually creates new patterns and new grooves, new ways of thinking. That's why we see over and over again in Scripture where the Bible talks about speaking the Word and the confession of our faith, where we're actually saying these things out loud. It's crucial. It's it's very important to the life of a believer. So part of the way that we prepare is that we need to know the will of God. We need to speak and say to that mountain, speak what? The will of God. No, the joy of the Lord is my strength, even when you don't feel like it is. Especially when you don't feel like it is. Because Jesus told the fig tree that it was going to wither up and die, and he said it. So if he also said the joy of the Lord is my strength, then non-negotiable, not up for debate, right? God isn't taking a vote on whether his word is true. It's just, do I believe it? Am I not doubting in my heart? Am I preparing? Am I expecting God to do something in me and through me that is going to show how great He is? And it oftentimes shows, man, I thought I had it all together, but it's really His strength. It's really His joy. It's really His peace that I need in my life. Because we think that we can create our own version of joy, our own version of peace, And we're truly never content when we seek after those things in our own strength. But with His way, there is that contentment. There is that peace. There is that joy of the Lord that is your strength. And so the question that I want to pose to you this morning is, are you preparing in faith? Are you tanking up? Are you saving? Are you investing in the Word of God, it doesn't matter if you're in a great situation in life right now or whether you're barely getting by. It doesn't matter if you feel like the kid that's gasping for the air coming up out of the pool or whether you're like, I think they're going pretty good right now. It doesn't matter what season that you're in because it's easy for us to reach out to God when we're in crisis mode. Everybody does that. But when things begin to kind of get realigned, and we feel like we got bailed out of a situation, then we forget about God all of a sudden. Till the next crisis, and then all of a sudden we remember, oh yeah, I need God. Oh, you've always needed Him. You just move from crisis to crisis to crisis, and each one is knocking you out, and God is saying, when are you going to learn to invest, not only when things are going wrong, but when they're going right? That you are tanking up that you are saving, that you are investing because the enemy is going to come in one way, shape, or form. Whether it's that person that cuts you off in traffic, whether it's the bill collector, whether it's your boss, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, whether it is another person's child or another parent at the soccer field. Hallelujah, amen, somebody. 
Something's going to come against you to try to knock you out or to get you off track. Something's going to try to keep you up at night and keep knots in your stomach and keep your blood pressure elevated beyond a healthy range. Something is going to try to drive you to look to alternative sources for health, healing, and comfort other than the very Word of God and your relationship with Him. And we try all those things like the woman with the issue of blood and we find ourselves going, 12 years, I've been dealing with this and I'm tired of dealing with this. This isn't working. I need something that works. And Jesus is saying, I work. My joy is sufficient. My peace passes your understanding. It guards your heart. It guards your mind. You can be full of joy in my presence and knowing me, but we think that's too easy. It doesn't make sense to us. It's got to be another way. And we don't ever invest in that. We don't ever try that because I'll just do the Sunday thing and that'll be good. But we've got to invest. We've got to prepare every day because we don't know what the day is going to bring. Are you preparing in faith or are you being a victim? I owned my own business when I lived in Texas. And I had a website and graphic design business that I started from the ground up. I knew how to do graphics okay, and I knew how to build websites and do coding and things like that. And so we were there to plant a church. That's the reason we moved to Texas in the first place. We were living in Oklahoma as youth pastors We had nice jobs with a good pay, and then we left all of that. And I had four grand in my pocket, and we moved to Texas, and my wife was pregnant with twins, and we had a baby in diapers. And we left all of that security to start over completely. We didn't know anybody in this town. We didn't know a single soul. I had never owned a business before. I had only ever been in full-time ministry, and now I'm starting a church and starting a business, neither of which I had any skill for. And so I focused a lot of attention on the church and wanted to get the church up and going. And I said, well, I need to start having more supplemental income because my little $4,000 was running out pretty quick. And so I started this business and actually did pretty well the first month. I got a lot of customers and I got paid a lot of money. And I'm going, wow, this is great. This is going to work out really nice. And so I just lived at the level that I had lived at and was really, really stupid thinking, oh, well, the church is going to be at 5,000 people next month anyways. You know, we're going to get everyone in this town saved. That's how it's going to go. And business is going to be six figures in a matter of three weeks, maybe four. You know, I mean, I was just thinking everything's just going to happen. Just boom, 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 boom. And no problem. And I had not adjusted my way of living. So when I started this business, we spent foolishly, I mean, we were eating out like crazy, we were spending like crazy, like, you know, wasn't nothing to it, because, hey, I got this big, nice paycheck. Well, that was the only big, nice paycheck I got for about six months, because I had never owned a business before. I was just used to money coming in every couple weeks getting paid, and I thought, well, surely I'll have enough business, and it just dried up after I got that first nice paycheck. I didn't learn how to pace myself. I didn't prepare. I didn't even think about needing to prepare because I just thought it was always going to be there. And so this idea of preparing was foreign to me. I didn't really take that responsibility to do that. And I had to learn a lot of really tough lessons the hard way. You know that school, don't you? You got your master's degree from there too? Okay, cool. You reapplying? Yeah, I'm going to reapply too. 
We always reapply. We graduate with honors, and then we reapply. Just keeps going on and on, man. Thank God for His grace and His patience with us. Amen? You see, people that prepare, they focus on the fundamentals. They focus on those little things, and they make sure that they're doing those things well. And the fundamentals of our walk with God, the fundamentals of Christianity are simply prayer, studying the Scripture, and being available. Fundamentals of Christianity are those three things, prayer, studying Scripture, and being available, saying, God, here I am, use me. As you look all throughout Scripture, we see those themes repeated over and over again because that's a pathway to knowing God more, is making sure that I'm in His Word, that I'm going, am I learning about Him? Am I getting to know His heart? Not just reading the Bible because someone in Sunday school told me it's what I'm supposed to do, but understanding why I'm doing it, that I'm actually seeing the heart of God revealed in Holy Scripture Even though I may not understand every single thing that's written, I can still see the heart behind what God is doing, and I'm getting to know who He is more by spending time in His Word. And these things are being invested in me. And then spending time in prayer, where we can be like the Apostle Paul, literally, where we pray without ceasing. I drop my kids off at school, and then on my commute from school to my work, I spend a little bit of time just talking to God, just praying to Him. Or I carve out time earlier in the day where I can just be alone and and before everyone wakes up and the busyness of the day gets going. Or maybe it's something that I do late at night where I'm spending that intentional time talking to God. Because I want to live out of the overflow. I don't want to live out of barely get by. I don't want to live out of scraping the bottom of the barrel because the enemy wants to come and knock me out and I know that. I need to make sure I'm available. I need to make sure that I'm available to do what God wants me to do, go where He wants me to go, and, and, and to, to have the relationships that He wants me to have and to serve Him the way He wants me to serve, that I create space to be available, that I say, yes, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do today? You want me to befriend that person in the lunchroom that always takes their lunch the same time I do or takes their break the same time? What do you want me to do today? I'm available. Do you want me to to stop and help this individual or take time out to pray for this individual? What do you want me to do? I'm available. I need to be a person of the word, a person of prayer, and a person who is available. And as I do that, that's part of my preparation. You shouldn't pray just when you get laid off or when you have marriage problems. You pray without ceasing when things go right and when they go wrong. Amen? It's just not the bat phone that we call on when there's a problem and we need to pick up the phone because there's an issue. No, it's, it's when things are going well, when we may be struggling because we want to live out of that overflow. In John 16 and 33, Jesus tells his disciples, he just get finished wrapping up a lot of bad things that are going to happen. You know, Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples, talking about the end times and talking about how people are going to hate them and probably kill most of them and, you know, encouraging stuff you know, Jesus stuff, disciples stuff, you know. But Jesus wraps up all that stuff by saying, I didn't tell you these things to freak you out. He said, I'm not telling you these things so you can be afraid. He said, because actually I've overcome the world. He said, so you should just be of good cheer. 
So it doesn't matter, Jesus was basically saying, so it doesn't matter what other people may do to you, say about you, it doesn't matter what happens, it doesn't matter who wins the election, it doesn't matter how up or down your paycheck goes or how many more uh, uh, areas you get taxed in or if your taxes go up or down. It doesn't matter what happens in this world, it doesn't matter who gets nuclear bombs and who doesn't, all of those things. He said, they're not going to matter because Jesus says, I've already overcome the world, so why are you losing sleep over it? He said, why are you freaking out over it? What's the worst thing? They kill you, you go to heaven. Bonus. You're with Jesus forever. But while I'm here on this earth, I want to affect this world for him as much as I can. Amen? I want to show his love and his truth to others who may not know that yet. So I very much value my life here on earth. But if for some reason my life gets taken from me on this earth, big deal. He's overcome the world. If we thought more in an eternal perspective, we wouldn't be afraid of what people think about us so much. If we looked at our life from an eternal perspective, we would use our time more wisely in the interactions that we have, especially those with our children or those that we have with close friends or our spouse. Because eternity is going to last a lot longer than here. You know that, right? Three people know that. <laughs> Appreciate the soft chuckles in the room. <laughs> Eternity is going to last a lot longer than anything here. And if we started thinking from a kingdom, eternal perspective, it'll change our priorities. The things that get us upset, the things that worry us, and the things that we actually prepare for, and the things that we actually equip ourselves for. Because enjoying God is how we live out of the overflow. Enjoying God. It's that simple. Just simply enjoying Him. That's how we live out of the overflow. If we aren't enjoying the opportunity that we have right now to invest in Him by praying, by hiding His Word in our heart, by being available to be used by Him, then we're living out of scarcity and lack. And you want to know what scarcity and lack create? Fear, stress, anger, depression, and a whole host of other things that want to take control of our lives. Because as I invest and dive into that relationship with Him, you want to know what happens? My trust grows. My trust with Him grows. Trust with God is everything. That's what Jesus was trying to say to Peter when they walked past that fig tree. He was saying, you know how important trust is here? You were with me when I cursed the tree. He's like, look at this. And Jesus said, have faith in God. What are you talking about? Look at this. Have faith in God. I said it was going to happen. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. You need to prepare. You need to trust. You need to invest. Because he said, I've already told you. If you do these things, my joy is going to overflow in your life. My peace is going to rule and reign in your life. Why would you be surprised? Oh, that stuff actually works. Yes, have faith in God. Trust. The problem is, is that we don't have that level of trust, not because we don't believe God is true and faithful, as much as we just don't spend that time getting to know Him. And we've been so rehearsed and coached on the right things to say and the right answers to give. Folks, just being coached and trained and taught how to give a right response doesn't mean you really know it. 
You can tell me all day that 2 plus 2 is 4 and I can recite that, but unless I understand why 2 plus 2 is 4, I'm just regurgitating what you've told me. I need to know why. You can tell me God is faithful all day long, but until I know why, until I know how, until I see his faithfulness proven in my life, until I know him, I'm just reciting something that's good to say. I grew up in a church where we recited all kinds of things. God is good all the time. All the time God is good. But do we really believe God was good or was it just something cute that we said? I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. Do we just say those things? I surrender to you. I surrender all. Are we just saying those things? Or do we actually know why? Do we actually know what that means? Because we know him. Because you see, those words have a different weight. The level of trust is there because relationship is there. Trust is the key to faith, and faith is what caused the woman with the issue of blood to get what she needed to receive from God. He said, daughter, it's your faith that made you whole. It wasn't Jesus' magic clothes, because he didn't have magic clothes. It was the woman's faith that made her whole. How many other people were touching Jesus? Did everybody who had a cold or a headache that day get healed who touched Jesus? Because of his clothes? No. But that woman did. What was different about her? Was it the particular part of Jesus' clothes that she touched? No. It was her faith. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he has received that which he has said, that's what God's going to do. That's where God's going to move. He's looking for you to trust him and have faith in him. The expectation of that invisible assurance based on his faithfulness. So over the next three weeks, we're going to examine together practical ways that we can live out of the overflow by focusing on the fundamentals, by focusing on prayer, being in the word and being available. And I want you to be equipped and full of God's love, full of God's joy, full of God's peace and contentment. I want you to grow in confidence in who you are in Christ. I want you to see that you can live out of the overflow of God's goodness, that you can learn to trust him regardless of the circumstance where you can walk in that peace and that joy and you can walk in his best. We need to prepare. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.